Good morning, Crosspoint. Our passage today is found in Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. How are we doing? Great. Great. So good to, you know, kind of just build on our gathering together. And I'm also going to acknowledge uh, those who are with us, but they're with us online. Uh, so maybe you're with us now on YouTube or Facebook. And I want to say thanks for joining the gathering of God's people uh, today. Uh, I'm really appreciative of the passage that we're in. And I think it's kind of hard to relate to a passage like this with in the gates of Jerusalem, into the ancient and holy city for worship, to declare the excellencies and praise of the one who has provided for us and redeemed us. These were habits of the hearts of the heart for the people of Jerusalem. We talked about these psalms of ascent and how in these festive gatherings, the Israelites would leave their homeland in order to go into the ancient city of Jerusalem to worship Yahweh, the one worthy of all glory and honor and praise. I want to help you wrap your mind around this with an event that I went to some time ago, which is kind of the closest thing in my experience that resembles something of like what King David here is telling us about. Back in 2003, 20 college students from Cross Point Lake Nona traveled from Orlando, Florida to Sherman, Texas for the one day 03 gathering. One day 03 was a gathering of college students uh, or college-age students who wanted to be committed to the Lord for their generation. And so as we gathered 20 of our college-age students to go to the one-day gathering, we, we prayed, God, would you use this in our lives? Would you make an indelible mark on our lives for your fame and your renown and your glory for our generation? And so we prayed for this. We planned for this. We packed up a, a pickup truck with camping gear and everything, and we put a tarp over it, and we drove all the way to Texas. That tarp was all ragged out by the time we got back. And thank goodness it's a miracle that everything didn't get soaking wet in, in a mess. But when we went into the fields of Sherman, Texas, we drove up. One of the volunteers was there to greet us in the car, put their hand on the car, they stuck their head in the window, and they said, I'm going to pray for you. And they prayed. 
that God's glory would be the mark on our lives forever. And they did that for every car coming in. We set up camp. That night, a torrential downpour took place. Massive thunderstorm all over the area. In fact, one person who was at the gathering got struck by lightning that evening. And then, it, was, it seemed like everything was a fight. Everything was a chore. But there was the Spirit of God that unified us. And then on that day, it was Memorial Day, May 26, 2003, we gathered on that sacred field. And as we gathered on that sacred field, we were in the gates. We felt God's presence. This is what we had waited for. We wanted God to move and move in power. John Piper set the stage. He's a pastor, a pastor I still, one of my heroes today. He said this, he said, The aim of our one day is the gathering and the awakening of a generation passionate for the holiness of God. If this generation were to become passionate for the holiness of God, then all the college campuses in America, campuses in Oregon and Washington and Idaho, campuses in Maine and New Hampshire and Connecticut and Massachusetts, in all the peoples in China, in North Korea, in Vietnam, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Algeria, in Tunisia. I mean, all the peoples in this world will say in response to God that here today and beyond today, they will say that there is none holy like the Lord, that there is no rock like our God. That that would be true of our generation. And there's something in me that welled up and just said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I want that for my life. And that has been a marking point for my life that I will never forget. It was a taste of heaven. It was a taste of the new Jerusalem. And I believe it was a taste of the ancient Jerusalem. Our time together today our big idea, give you a big idea every week, and here, here it is for today. God calls His church to worship Him. God calls. That, that calling is a command. God commands His church to worship Him. We're going to see this in five ways as we journey through this psalm together. We're going to see it in joy, we're going to see worship in unity. We're going to see worship through submission, worship through prayer, and worship through love. But in all of these ways, God calls His church to worship Him. Before I get started on actually unpacking the text, I want to, I want to unpack the word worship for us for a moment. There's a lot of assumptions that are made about worship, but what really is worship? It, it kind of seems pretty hard to define because is worship just something that we do? Is worship just something that we go to church on Sunday and on Sunday at, at church I worship God? Or is worship a part of who we are? Is it hardwired into our hearts? I believe that worship is hardwired into the heart of every worship of every human being. So the question is not whether you worship. The question is what you worship. Who do you worship? 
What do you give your time, your energy, your heart's devotion towards, your heart's love towards? Because worship is, as Louis Giglio says, worship is our response to what we do, or our response to what we value most. As a result, worship fuels our actions, becoming the driving force of all that we do. Worship is our response to what we value most. And the Scriptures draw these lines out really clearly. You can value one thing or another, and it fits in only these two categories. You could worship the Creator, or you could worship the created. Our response to what we value most. Romans 1.25 says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. There's a breakdown in worship, according to Romans 1.25, to where the one who was worthy of our worship was the one who we turned away from, and we turned to the worth, worthless things that we were never meant to turn to. This is the story of humanity. This is why the redemptive story of Jesus Christ is so powerful, because sin, by its very nature, is idolatry. And what is idolatry but a turning from God and a turning to something else? And the definition of worship, when worship is redefined, it's when we love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And yes, here, worship is the gathering of saints, which I don't want to devalue this by giving this big, broad definition and say worship is about all of your life pointed toward Jesus Christ. But let me tell you this, that it is incomplete if it is not among God's people. Because God desires the praise of His name among the throngs of people. That one day, like I saw these thousands of college students along the farm hillsides of Sherman, Texas. One day, we are going to be among the multitudes that cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So today, right here in the four walls of this gymnasium where your feet were standing, we are doing it. The church is bigger than this. The church is much bigger than this, and we are one small part that today, by God's grace and through the power of His Holy Spirit, get to taste, a foretaste of heaven here right now. Right now. So I want to, I know Ryan prayed for us. I want to pray for us again because I want hearts to be shaped right now. I want hearts to be changed right now, and only God can do that. Lord, we ask right now, we ask right now, from the youngest to the oldest, Lord, that right now our hearts would be molded for you, shaped for you. God, even though we've worshipped lesser things, God, even coming into the place this morning, Lord, I believe in the redemptive, transforming work of Jesus Christ that can awaken our hearts towards your holiness and cause us to rise up and say yes to you right now, Lord. Would you show us you're here? Would you show us you love us? Would you show us that, Lord, you are the only one worthy of everything that we are? We belong to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start worshiping with joy, right? 
worship with joy. Psalm 122, verse 1, I was glad. Say that with me. I was glad. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. How many of us have been there on a Sunday morning? I was glad. I was glad. I mean, coronavirus notwithstanding, we haven't been able to meet for the last five or six months. It's an easy excuse to not be gathered with God's people, which by the way, I just want to acknowledge that it's okay if you're not here. There's some people that shouldn't be here because it's important for their health. So I want, I want to say that because we're going to be talking about the gathering of God's people and, and you're online. It's as if you're here because we're present in our praise. We're present in the Holy Spirit. We're present together. But I also want to say that the last six months could be so formative for an easy excuse to not be among God's people and to hide in the shadows. And that we, not, we must be cautious of that so that we can honestly say with the sincerity of our hearts, when someone says, you want to go to church, we say, uh-huh, yeah, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Because listen, we're going to God's house. This is the place of the Lord. Jerusalem was this this city that was constructed and everything about it was a de declaration of God's praise. It's as if the person who's there, which was David, if he had an iPhone, he'd put you on FaceTime and he said, hey, listen, here I am right now. You see everybody? They're all there. Look at the towers. Look at the, the security within its gates. Look at the holy of holies. Look, look at the sacrifices that are coming in. These throngs of, of lambs that are there in order to, to celebrate the redeeming work of Israel. The sacrificial Passover lamb. That sacrifice. Yes, it was a sign that their sin was still present but it was also a foreshadowing that one day that sin would be no more. Let us with joy and gladness worship God because He has redeemed us. Go into the house of the Lord with God's people, among God's presence. Eugene Peterson writes, one of the afflictions of pastoral work is been to listen with a straight face to all the reasons people give for not going to church. <laughs> I laugh because I've, I've heard some of those reasons and maybe I've made up some myself. He says this, my mother made me when I was little. How many of us are in that category? My mother's still making us right now. My kiddos right there. I know they love being here. They love being here. There are too many hypocrites in the church. I've heard that one before. Well, welcome to church. Yes, you're right. It's the only day I have to sleep in. Yeah. Then he says, I listen with a straight face. And I go home and I pray that person will one day find the one sufficient reason for going to church, which is God. God. You get to be with Him. Gladness. This is His deal. Second thing is we worship in unity. Verses 2 through 4. 
Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. This was decreed. I mean, it was written in the Israelite Psalms. It was written in the Deuteronomy law book. It was written all over that God's people should be together to proclaim the excellencies of His name. Let me read to you one of such decrees in Psalm 78, verses 5-7. through He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed it a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to, to their children that the next generation might know Him, that children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, those who have forgotten, those who were hard-hearted and stiff-necked people, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. You see that there's a consequence to forgetting, and the forgetting means that you walk in unfaithfulness, and that there's a work here. I I love seeing all the kids here, even in the service, and I know we're not doing Crosspoint Kids right now, and I know it's not perfect, and I know that especially if they're your kids and they're going a little bit crazy, you're a little bit concerned. Let me just tell you, it's okay, because what you're doing right now is you're raising up generation of saints to worship God, and that unless Christ comes back, They're going to be here after we're long gone, and their responsibility is going to be to raise the next generation, those who are yet unborn. And their responsibility is to raise the next generation. One of the prayers that I regularly pray for my family, and I've made this a habit of praying this for your families individually, is that we would raise up ten generations of believers in the church. I mean, if that were even multiplied amongst a small group of people that are here at Crosspoint downtown, and I'm not telling you that this is just a family parent thing. This is everybody involved here. If you're single, if you're um, whatever it is, you are a part of raising up 10 generations of worshipers for the Lord, and we will fill a whole state in 10 generations from now. I mean, the amount of people that if we just fulfill this call in raising our children up and trusting the Lord as we bring them up in the unity of God, it'll be absolutely transformational. Interesting thing about it is that we live in a divided age right now. You can call the United States here in 2020 the divided states of America. And sometimes it's really hard to gather together with people who you're fighting with throughout the week about various things. I don't even have to mention the fight. You know them. Just write them down. Write down your kind of pet peeve and why you're mad at everybody and why everybody's mad at you. Ooh, here's a ball. Uh, (laughs) It's his fault. That's right. Um, And and now, I want to tell you that David talks here about these, these tribes that go up together to the house of the Lord. Do you think that the 12 tribes of Israel were never divided? 
Like this was in a time where David took the rule and reign and kingship of Israel. Now that was known as like the glory days of Israel when David was in charge and the rule and reign of God. There was a shalom like Israel never experienced then. But the tribes were divided in many different ways. Think about the tribe of Judah, which was from where David was from, and then the tribe of Benjamin, which was the tribe Saul was from. And after David took the kingdom and kingship and Saul was dead, it's generally assumed in those ancient places that the king is going to go after the enemy's kin. And he's going to destroy them because they're a threat to his kingdom. But rather than doing that, you know what David did? He said, where are Saul's descendants? I want to honor them. I want to bless them. I want to favor them. Where are the people who are divided with you? Because I guarantee you that there's a whole lot of division that if we were just to air it out all on, on social media right now, there would be a big old fight going on. But it ain't worth it. Because we come under the banner of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the unity of the church is only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. There are some things that I will put in the open hand that I'm very opinionated on that I actually can even give you the biblical justification for in terms of making an argument against, but they're just not worth dying on that hill. But then there's some things in the closed hand that I'm going to be absolutely unified about, and I will die on that hill. And you know what they are? Jesus is Lord. That He died on the third day, and that He was buried, and that He rose again, and that He ascended to heaven. He brought His saints and that we will worship God forever. And that God calls every tribe, nation, and tongue to worship Him. And that our petty divisions at the end of time will dissolve and be forgotten. And the only thing that stands in our lives right now will that be that which is burned away and will be eternal in Jesus Christ. Hear me not saying that those differences aren't worth being standing firmly on. Because there's a lot at stake in the future of, of, of our lives in our nation. There's a lot of convictions that you will even hold rightly. But can I tell you that the unifying factor that we must always acknowledge no matter how someone votes or no matter what their opinion is on different things or, or, or their ethnicity or race, you know the unifying factor of our hearts and our lives is the cross of Jesus Christ because no one stands above anyone else at, foot, at the foot of the cross because He's humbled us. He's unified us. He's brought the tribes together. And right now, our business is to worship Him. My friend Mike Cortez was a firefighter during September 11th. And um, he was actually supposed to work that morning, September 11th. And a couple months ago, actually it wasn't a couple months ago, it was earlier this month on September 11th, he recounted his testimony of what took place that day for him. He, uh, he was supposed to work, but a few days before, a friend of his asked if he wanted to go four-wheeling that morning. So he shifted his, his uh, he, he switched his shift with someone. And as everything transpired that morning, he woke up 
and the Twin Towers were under attack, by, been hit by airplanes. His whole company that was there went in. Everybody who went in died, including the guy who was on shift for him that day. Mike shared this with tears. It's a YouTube video. I really encourage you watching it and find some way to get it to you. It's really powerful. One of the things that he said, though, as it related to the unity of our nation, he said, two main things seemed to bring unity to everybody, no matter what your race was, no matter what your religion was, no matter even where you were from, because that day everybody was an American. He said, but two things unified us all. Number one, God. There was a sense of our finiteness. There was a sense that we needed help beyond ourselves. And number two, other people mattered more than we ever thought. And they did the hard work of going through the rubble and Mike even hearing of his company lost and going to funeral after funeral after funeral, including the one with the man who switched the shift with him. His name was Jimmy Papa Joe. And as Mike recounted that, you could hear this longing for unity in our nation. Now, I don't say that so that we would be the United States of America, so to speak, as a church. Like, I, that is my concern, but, but here's my greater concern. The church is a city on a hill. We must not look to America for that type of unity. We must be that type of uni unity for America to look on, upon us and say that's the way we need to be. Unity in the place that we live, amongst the people that we live, that we are a city on a hill, unified in Christ and by the power of His Holy Spirit. Tim Keller writes, through the gospel, different races and nations closely compacted together, People who would never get along outside of the church love one another inside of it. <laughs> you hear that? Like, there's some people around you that you would never hang out with outside of this place. But you know what? God brought us together. No one of, none of us would have chosen our family for, if, if we knew how messed up and weird our family was. Because you've got a weird family, right? But our church is the same way. We are a jacked-up group of people in need of the gospel. And he says, we must joyfully seek out the church. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. The next thing we see is worship through submission. The thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. David was writing this psalm with a clear call that his kingdom would last beyond him that his rule and reign and, and his line would last far beyond him. And, and, and that was not a sense of pride in self. That was a sense of security in God's promise because he knew that he was one of the descendants of Abraham. 
He knew that Abraham's promise was the promise for Israel on that day. And in the same way, we know that David had security in the line of David or the line of Judah, or as we know it, the lion of Judah. We in the same way as the church know that our lion of Judah is Christ. And Jerusalem today is the church. Jerusalem today are the people of God. Because what marked Israel and what marked Jerusalem was not their heritage or not their na nationality, but it was their hope in the Messiah who was to come because David knew that his sins needed forgiveness and David could not atone for his sins, let alone the people of Israel. And one would have to be greater than him. And if you read the Psalms of David, you will see this theme throughout his writings, is that David was not the end. David was a type pointing to one greater than himself. And so when we submit, we are coming under the rule and judgments of God. Submission is a reordering of our lives around the Word of God. It's taking our opinions, our judgments, our ideas of what truth is and what truth is not, and it's submitting those to the Word of God, and it's saying, God, your judgments are right and sure and true, and I need you to align everything about me with everything in this. And that's the judgments of God. And this is the submission to the Lord. Do our feelings matter? Yes, they matter. But the best way to understand our feelings is that we would bring our feelings in submission under the authority of God. If not, then we are allowing our feelings to reign and rule, and the one who sits on the throne is not Christ, but us. Submission. Jen Wilkin, she asked this question. She says, why am I here? Why am I here? To be a megaphone for God's glory. When we come under the submission of Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that Jesus is our King. And our lives are but a megaphone for the glory of God. Next thing we see is worship through prayer. Verses 6 and 7. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. When the psalmist David prayed for peace, he wasn't just praying for the absence of war. wasn't just praying for the absence of conflict. He was praying for shalom. Right now, it might feel like the world is at peace, but I guarantee you there's some kind of fire kindling where tomorrow we're going to be in an all-out, full-scale war. Now, it might not be in our lifetime, or maybe it will be, but we know that generations after generations have to deal with wars and rumors of wars, and lives are lost. But Israel needed that security because Israel needed to be in God's place, among God's people, and to have that freedom to worship God. They were redeemed from slavery in Egypt. They wandered 40 years in the desert and now here they were and that security, that safety, that shalom was a harmony that was brought about in God's people. Do you pray for the church? Do you pray for Crosspoint? Crosspoint, 
You need to pray for us. You need to pray for our body right here that there would be this harmonious blessing that God grants us in unity together. We also need to pray for other local churches so that we could have a unified work here in Orlando to see darkness turned into light because of Jesus. Churches working together to deal with different issues in our communities to show the light of Christ. We also need to pray for the church nationally in our nation because right now we are living in a post-Christian culture. It means that Christianity was a thing of the past. But we want to see revival and renewal and redemption. And so we pray for other leaders and pastors on a national scale. And then finally praying for the work of, of the church around the globe. Crosspoint is involved in missions in Turkey, in the Middle East. Because we believe that God is not just a God of our nation, in fact, our nation is just a small piece of the greater work of the nations throughout human history. We're just a small little part of it. But God has given us the privilege to tell of His name in the unknown places so that they truly are generations that come to worship Him. This praying for peace is to pray for the fullness of Christ to dwell among His people. This is what differentiates Christianity from the rest of the world. This is what differentiates Christianity's cry for peace and the world's cry for peace. Is Christianity's cry for peace is one that knows it only comes with a reconciliation to Christ. That's it. If there is no Jesus, then there is no peace. If you don't know Christ, then you don't know peace. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him reconciled to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of the cross. That we would seek the shalom of the church through the, the reconciling work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then my last point is worship through love. For my brothers and com companions' sake, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of our God, I will seek your good. Crosspoint called to love one another, called to love the church. Part of the call to worship means that you can't live a life isolated from the church. It would be a hand disconnected from the body, that hand would die if it's disconnected from the body. In the same way, if a member is disconnected from the other members or, or cut off from the other members, then that member will eventually die. We're meant to be together. We're meant to gather together in worship. Ryan Ravish wrote a devotional, the famous Ryan Ravish author. She said this. She said, I think it's easy for us modern-day Christians to take for granted our Sunday gatherings. For the introvert, it requires leaving a comfortable home and interacting with people. <laughs> I'm an extrovert, so I laugh at that. For the extrovert, it can become easily it can easily become a, 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 a more of a shallow gathering with no deep connection. Yes, we've all been uniquely crafted by our Creator, but we've been crafted to worship our Creator together together you got to fight it and you got to fight it with love 
There are people that need you here. You say, what do they need me here for? If you just get to know one another, you're going to find out why. You need these people in your life because I know you and I know that you've got some stuff that you're going to walk through in life and you're going to need others there for and you're going to need the people of God in your life in those times. And I have watched Crosspoint in such powerful ways minister in these margins of people's hurt and hardship and brokenness and God build about a genuine love for the saints in us. I want to give a little application here. I believe that there are dual enemies of love that we as a church have to fight. One of those is individualism. Individualism. Individualism in the United States started off by this self-reliance. I mean, we are a self-made nation. If you come to the United States, kind of the banner or the billboard that says uh, America is a place where you can do it. If you just work hard enough, if you just set your mind to it, if you work your tail off, you can rise to the top. Now, in some ways, it feels good. It feels like we're in control. But in other ways, it says, I don't need nobody else. And so this self-reliance has led to a selfishness. And this selfishness has us kind of trudging along life all alone, while inside there's loneliness and despair, and it's just killing us. The second enemy of love in community is consumerism. We treat the church like goods and services. Right now, it's really easy to do that because, you know, in the middle of coronavirus, just in all honesty, why Chris was getting up there is we've got to rebuild some things. We've got to get this thing back together. We've taken six months off. We don't know who's going to be here and who's not going to be here. And so we've got to rebuild some things. But it's not about programs. We were committed, even if it's just opening this place up and having a few songs sung and a word preached, that we were going to be here because it's not about coming here to exchange goods and services. You don't shop for churches like you shop for clothes in the mall. You allow God to minister through you, through the saints to you through his word, through praise, through community. We're not a perfect church, but we've got to fight in our hearts the dual threats of individualism and uh, consumerism that will cause us to be disillusioned with the body of Christ because it's just not meeting our needs. And I'll tell you what, this church isn't perfect, and you know why? Because you're here. Because <laughs> you're here, and I'm here. Josiah's walking away. He's like, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's the good confession. Jesus is coming back. We live in the age of the renewal and redemption of all things. We live in the age after the first coming of Christ and between the second coming of Christ. He is coming back. And so we will encourage one another more and more as we see that day drawing near. So I want to close in saying this. The gates of Jerusalem 
will never be restored on this earth like they were in the reign of King David. They never will be restored like that. You know why? Because Jerusalem cannot contain the house of God. Cannot contain the house of God. But we, we are part of a new Jerusalem. We are part of a people who will one day make that great journey, that advent up the hill. And we will put our feet in the place of God that Jesus has prepared for us. And we will join our voices among the millions and millions and billions of saints of old. And we will add to the chorus of His worthy and honor and praise. And we will sing of the Lamb who has taken away our sin. Jesus says in Revelation, this is John speaking, He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, This is Christ. Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, He said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus is building His church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the question for us is, is will we add all of our lives, all of our love, all of our affection to this wondrous work that He's begun and He's invited us into? Will we add our hearts to the work of Christ right now? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You, Lord, that You call us to come. Thank You, Lord, that You call us to something greater. And Lord, we worship You because You're worthy. And Lord, may we worship You with everything that we are right now, saying that we belong completely and totally to You. But Lord, I pray that it doesn't stop with Sunday morning. But Lord, You would allow us to every waking moment devote all that we are to You. Because God, You are holy and mighty and worthy. And You have redeemed us. You have made us Your own. We know we are bought with a price. In Jesus' name. Amen.